going to start in Luke 13 this morning. If you want to open your Bibles, you can, or you can just read along on the screen. Luke 13, 6-9. This is Jesus speaking, and he spoke this parable. A certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, or the word could be translated orchard also. So, fig tree planted in his vineyard or orchard, and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. And then he said to the keeper of his vineyard, Look, for three years I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree and find none. Cut it down. Why does it use up the ground? But he answered and said to him, Sir, let it alone this year also, until I dig around it and fertilize it. And if it bears fruit, well. But if it does not, after that you can cut it down. Second parable Jesus told in Matthew 25. Then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now five of them were wise and five were foolish. And those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. And while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight a cry was heard, Behold, the bridegroom is coming, go out to meet him. And then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps, and the foolish and the wise, the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, No, lest there should not be enough for us and you, but go rather to those who sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding, and the door was shut. And afterward the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. And he answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. A third parable from Luke 13. And he said to them, Strive to enter through the narrow gate, for many, I say to you, will seek to enter and will not be able. When once the master of the house has risen up and shut the door, and you began to stand outside and knock at the door, saying, Lord, Lord, open for us. And he will answer and say to you, I do not know you, where you are from. Then you will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence and you taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know you, where you are from. Depart from me, all you workers of iniquity. And there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God and yourselves thrust out. They will come from the east and the west and from the north and the south and sit down in the kingdom of God. And indeed... There are last who will be first, and there are first who will be last. And a fourth parable from Matthew 7. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name and cast out demons in your name and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. So we have four parables here. Jesus is speaking to people in the church. None of these parables are to the lost in the world. The first parable, God plants an orchard. He's got all his fruit trees and there's a fig tree in there that isn't bearing any fruit. God comes to Jesus and he says, for three years I've come and checked this tree and it has no fruit. Cut it down. It's a waste of space. Notice this tree is in God's orchard. It's not out there in the world. It is in God's orchard. Hello? This tree is standing there in God's orchard looking like all the rest of the trees, but it isn't bearing any fruit. God tells Jesus, cut it down. It's wasting space. Jesus says, give me one more year. I'll dig around its roots, I'll fertilize it, and we'll see if it'll bear fruit in the fourth year. But if it won't, then we'll cut it down. I'm here to tell you this morning that uh, Jesus will not wait forever. 
on you to bear fruit. God tells Jesus, cut that thing down. It's three years. It's a waste of space. It hasn't borne any fruit. Jesus says, let's, let's give it one more year. We'll fertilize it. We'll tend it. We'll water it. We'll take care of it. If it still refuses, we'll cut it down. Notice, Jesus doesn't want to cut the tree down. Hello? He wants to do extra work to make the tree fruitful. Hello? But if the tree just flat out refuses to bear fruit, it's a waste of space. We're going to replace it with a tree that will bear fruit. Because the point of an orchard is fruit. Notice God does not come to Jesus and say, that's a stupid tree, cut it down. He doesn't say, that's an ugly tree, cut it down. He doesn't care what it looks like. He just wants it to bear fruit. God isn't coming and saying, that tree isn't good enough. That tree isn't nice enough. That tree isn't spiritual enough. No, it's all he cares about is, does it have figs or not? You don't have to look like any of the other trees. You don't have to be as smart as the other trees. You don't have to be as spiritual as the other trees. You don't have to be as skinny as the other trees. Just bear fruit. And Jesus is absolutely, 100% willing to do extra work to help you be fruitful. But if you just insist on living your own life, your own way, and not bearing fruit for him, There will come a day when he is done. He will not wait on us forever. There is a day when he's given that tree enough chances, it refuses to bear fruit, so we're done. Don't be that tree. Come on, don't be that tree. In the second parable, also, this is not, this is the ten virgins with their lamps coming to the wedding. Their culture and weddings in their culture were so different than ours. The groom would propose and go away to make his livelihood and build a house for his soon-to-be bride. And then he would come back and get her. And the virgins or the young girls who are the bridesmaids. These are bridesmaids waiting for the groom to come and get their friend, the bride, for the wedding. So these are not the people in the world who aren't watching for Jesus. These are the people who are with the church, thinking they are looking for Jesus. But Jesus calls them fools because they aren't ready for when he comes. Hello? You see, this parable is not to the people of the world. This parable is to us. You can be around the church. You can be in the church. You can be with the church. But you're not ready for Jesus to come back. We have ten bridesmaids with their lamps, oil lamps, ready to go, waiting for the groom, watching, but five planned ahead and were ready for whatever it took, for whenever he would come. And five just showed up for the party. They weren't ready for how long it might take or whatever they would have to do to wait on the groom to come. They just showed up to look pretty and attend the party. And they only brought enough oil for that. So 
Again, this is to the church. And the groom comes, and while they're gone, in a rushed panic, off to get more oil, the wedding begins and the door is shut. Jesus will not wait on us forever. There will come a day when the door is shut. And you were either ready for it, and you're on the inside, or you're not. The third parable Jesus says, strive, make every effort to enter the narrow gate because many will seek it and not find it. And he says, they will knock at the door saying, Lord, open for us and I will say to you, I do not know you. Depart from me. And they will say, we ate and drank in your presence and you taught in our streets. And I will say again, I never knew you. These people are out, get locked outside of the gate and they're banging on the door. Jesus, let us in. I don't know who you are. I said, Jesus, we came to the church potluck. Jesus, we were there at the crusade meeting. We heard the preachers. We were at the revival meeting, Jesus. Well, I'm sorry. I didn't meet you because you didn't move. You were there, but you didn't come and meet me. We've never met. Again, this is people who think they're in the church. They're around the church. They're in the church. They're eating and drinking with the church. The the church is their social life. They like the people there. And I want to be a good person, so I'm listening to the preaching. But they never knew Jesus. The fourth parable, Jesus says, Many will say to me, Lord, Lord, but only he who does the will of my Father. And they say, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name and cast out demons and done wonders in your name? And I will declare to them, I never knew you, workers of lawlessness. So again, this is people calling Jesus Lord. They've been around when there was real spiritual stuff happening, healings and deliverances and prophecy and good church meetings. But apparently they they never met Jesus because he said, I never knew you. Three of these four parables, he says, I don't know you three of these parables, there's a door and the door is shut. Jesus said, I am the door. To some people, he's going to open wide and say, yeah, you're mine. Come on in. To others, he's going to shut and say, I don't know you. And some of those people are the lost of the world, but some of them are the people who are in and around the church, calling him Lord, thinking they've seen miracles and they've been around for the preaching, but They didn't take it seriously. So I'm here to ask you this morning, are you a serious disciple of Jesus Christ? Or are you just playing around like the people in these parables? Because Jesus won't wait on us forever. There is a day when the door is going to shut. Either when he returns or at the end of your life. Time's up. You don't know if you're going to make it through this afternoon. Don't leave here this morning unmoved meet Jesus maybe you've never done that and you need to surrender for the first time and confess your sin and make him Lord and Savior but maybe you think you've been around the church for 40 years I've told you that my dad at 60 some years old who grew up in the church all of his life said I always knew there was something that everybody else had that I didn't and now I know it's Jesus 
60 years old, in church most of the Sundays of his life. And he gets born again and says, I just got Jesus. Praise the Lord. So I'm here this morning to tell you, ask you, are you a serious disciple or are you just deceiving yourself? Jesus' most repeated statement in the New Testament is, do not be deceived. Why would he say that the most often? Because it's so easy for us to trick ourselves. Thinking we're good with God when we're not. There is a day coming. John Bevere said he saw this scripture in a vision when he was in his 20s or 30s, early on in his ministry. He said, I saw a number of people that cannot be counted and they were waltzing happily up to the gate of heaven and the door was shut in their face and there was absolute shock and panic. Like, no, that, no, that's not us. No, we're supposed to be on the inside. And Jesus says, I never knew you. And he said, this multitude of millions of people that could not be counted was absolute panic and shock that they were the ones that this applied to. I don't want to be in that group. And I don't want you in that group. So I'm here this morning to ask you some questions. Because I love you. I don't want anybody that I was responsible to shepherd to be in that group right there. I don't want anybody to be shocked when you meet Jesus and find out you're in that lawless group. How can we know? I want to know. How can we know that we're not in that group? How can I know if I'm a serious disciple of Jesus or if I'm just fooling myself? Let's go back to the first parable, the parable of the tree that doesn't bear any fruit. The obvious question is, are you bearing fruit? Or are you a waste of space? Hello? Can you specifically and intentionally name what you are doing that has eternal value right now in the last week? What did you do to love to forgive, to serve, to give. What did you do that had eternal value just this past week? If you can't think of anything, it's time to get serious. If you just went to work and paid the bills and kept your house clean, you need to have some different priorities. Hello? What did you do to serve other people in Jesus' name, to pray, to worship, to take care of God or the people around you what did you do that's bearing fruit? Please notice, God is not looking for the tree to look good. You don't have to do it in any good way. Just do it. Just bear fruit. Come on. God didn't say, Jesus, that's an ugly tree. Cut it down. Jesus, that tree isn't a, a good, good enough tree. Cut it down. He's only concerned, is there figs on that tree or not? Come on. And please note, Jesus does not want to cut the tree down. Jesus isn't looking to keep you out of heaven. He wants you into heaven, which is why we have these stories. Not to scare you that you might not get in. It is to warn you, I want you in, so don't do this. Come on. I know, these are scary things to think about, but I'm doing it on purpose. So then we can unscare you. Are you bearing eternal fruit? In the parable of the virgins, the bridesmaids who are waiting on the groom. Are you a serious disciple? Are you one of the wise girls or the unwise girls? It is not enough just to know about Jesus and that he's going to return. I have to be prepared for it. 
If Jesus' return is a scary thing to you, uh, you don't yet understand the full story. And I know why it would be a scary thing for you because I grew up in a church that scared me about it. All these terrible, horrible things are going to happen. Uh, but then Jesus is going to come and, and take care of it all. But it was presented as a scary thing. But they forgot about all the good things that are going to happen in the church and the world and the kingdom of God. And, but some of my selfishness, some of my fear about the return of Jesus is selfishness. That I'm not sure I'm ready to give up what I have. I'm not sure, Jesus, that I want you interrupting my life. It's a really difficult thing when you think through it in reality that Jesus is going to just appear one day and interrupt this world and my life. Am I excited about that or am I like Lot's wife that's looking back while I'm being rescued? Well, no, Jesus, I, I wasn't quite done um, with my career. I, I didn't accomplish those things that I wanted. I, God, uh, uh, my, what about the kids? And are we excited about Jesus' return and whatever that takes? Or are we not re- ready for it? In the third parable, Jesus says, do whatever it takes to get in the narrow gate. Many will look for it and not find it. And the excuse that the people give that they should be allowed in is, Jesus, we were there eating and drinking with you, and we were there when you preached in the streets. And So the question is, are you at church for the social interaction because your friends are here? Because the preaching's good, the worship's good, I like the music. The preacher says things that make me feel good. I know that's not today yet, but we'll get there. <laughs> Ezekiel 33, God tells Ezekiel, he said, you have big crowds when you preach, but they're just coming to hear you like they would a good concert. Your preaching to them is like a good musician that plays nice music, but then they go home and they don't, they don't live it out. And that passage haunts me. So I know there are many of you that do take what I give you And you do go and live it out, but there are a lot of people that don't, and it haunts me. I don't want to be a good preacher. I want to change your life in Jesus' name. I want to equip you to serve him. I do not want to entertain you or impress you. It's not the goal. Church is not about eating and drinking. It's not about hanging out with the preacher or listening to good words. And then the fourth parable, this one, Jesus says, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. These people are in the church calling Jesus Lord. They've been around the revival meetings where demons are cast out and the sick are healed and people are prophesying. And Jesus says, I didn't know you because you are lawless. You really loved worship and you loved the revival and the excitement and the spiritual stuff, but where the rubber meets the road in your practical daily life, you didn't let me be Lord. So I never knew you. You've got to obey Jesus in everyday life, not just be excited about a good church meeting. In three of those parables, Jesus says, I don't know you. Never anywhere in the Gospels does does Jesus say that that I have to know him to be saved. But we use that language a lot. 
I found Jesus. I got saved. I know Jesus. That's not what he says at judgment. He says, I don't know you. That scares me. So I asked Jesus, how do I know that you know me? I think I know you. How do I know that you know me? I asked him that. I've prayed that for a couple years now. Paul says, I know of nothing that condemns me, but that means nothing. Only Jesus can judge me innocent. The fact that I know nothing that would condemn me is meaningless. So the fact that I think God and I are cool does not mean God and I are cool. I need to know that God says God and I are cool. Hello? So I ask, Jesus, in these parables you say, the words you put in your own mouth is, I don't know you. How do I know that you know me? Well, guess what? He answered. Check this out. For 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 3. The one who loves God is known by him. The one who loves God is known by God. It really is that simple. Well, come on, Mitch. That's too easy. No, it isn't. The one who loves God is known by him. If you love God, God knows you. Well, how do I know if I love God? Next scripture. If you love me, keep my commandments. The question is, Jesus, when we meet, how am I going to know that you say you know me? How can I know? If you love me, I know you. Well, how do I know that I love you? Keep my commandments. He's answering one question after the next. If you love me, keep my commandments. He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. My question was, Jesus, how can I know that when we meet, you're going to say, yeah, come on in, I know you. Because the fact that I think that's going to happen doesn't mean anything. You need to say it's going to happen. And he answered my question. If you love me, I know you. How do I know that I love you? Obey my commandments. My next question was, which commandment? Here it is. This commandment you have from him, that he who loves God must love his brother also. Do you love God and the people around you? Then you're his. And you don't have to be afraid. Well, that's too easy, Mitch. Oh, it isn't easy. It is simple, but it isn't easy. Loving people is not easy. It is simple, but it's not easy. But it is that simple. God is not trying to keep us out of heaven. He's not trying to scare us and by thinking, oh, I could be chopped down at any moment. No, Jesus wants to give you another year to bear fruit. He isn't about to chop you down. But we got to know that we're doing the right thing. What is the fruit he wants us to bear? Love the people around you. Come on. 1 John 3, verses 10 and 11. 10 and 14. In this, the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. We know that we have passed from death to life. We know that we have passed from death to life. You can know for sure that you belong to God. 
Because you love the church, his people. Come on. You can know for sure. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. Amen. Does Jesus know you? After all that, nobody is sure that Jesus knows you. Does Jesus know you? Yes. Do you love God? Are you obeying him to the best of your knowledge? Yes. Are you loving people around you, forgiving and serving, taking care of and loving as best you know how? You belong to Jesus. You will not be on the wrong side of the door. You will not be. So as a high school kid, junior high and high school kid, I'd read that story about the tree that's about to be chopped down. My conscience is always overactive. I'm an analytical person, and I overthink things, and I do that about myself as well. And I would, I would live in fear every time I sinned. I would beg God, please don't cut me off. Please forgive me. Give me another chance. Please, Jesus. I don't live in fear of that anymore because... I've learned that Jesus doesn't want to chop me down. He wants to give me another chance. He doesn't want to meet me at the door and say, you stay out, I don't know you. He wants me to know him and he wants to know me. So he's looking for fruit. He isn't looking for you to be a good person. He isn't looking for you to be nice. He isn't looking for you to have it all together. He isn't looking for you to be more spiritual than anybody else. He just wants you to bear fruit where he has planted you. If you're not bearing fruit, Jesus is going to give you another year. And that doesn't mean a year on the calendar. He's just giving you another chance. Notice what he tells God, his father. He says, let me fertilize it. There's only one type of fertilizer they had in Bible times. Uh Uh-huh. Let me throw a bunch of manure on this person, and we'll see if we can kick them in gear. Come on. If you're not bearing fruit, Jesus wants you to bear fruit so you don't get kicked out. But the way he's going to make you kick it in gear is I'm going to throw a bunch of manure on you to make you grow. Isn't he great? (laughs) Thank you, Jesus. (laughs) Are you a serious disciple or are you playing around? Serious disciples bear fruit. Serious disciples know Jesus and he knows them because they are ready and eager for his return, willing to be ready and give up whatever he calls them to give up to see his kingdom come. They're not hiding hypocrisy in secret lawlessness and secret sin. They're not running out into the world for seasons of their life and then back in and repenting to God and then not really meaning it and going back out. There are other signs that I came up with. Just some questions to ask. Are you a serious disciple? Or are you in one of these groups? I don't want you to be. Other signs or other fruit from a serious disciple. Just some questions to ask for you to think about on your own. Does worship move you in your heart and your body? If worshiping God doesn't excite you, You might want to get there. Serious disciples love worshiping the Lord. And it moves us to tears, to joy, and to fear. 
And all three should be present at various times. Sometimes you're jumping around excited with a big smile. Other times you're weeping, bawling your eyes out in love and thankfulness to God. And other times you're on your face saying, God, you are too awesome for me to approach and I can't stand to look at you. Worship moves a serious, real Christian. Do you want to pray and do you actually make it happen? Time to pray is never going to accidentally happen. Do you want to talk to God? Somebody who's a serious Christian, who's a serious disciple of Jesus, wants to spend time with them, and you will get up early or stay up late or both to do it. You'll turn the TV and the internet off to get it done. Get, an hour, get up an hour earlier than you would have to. Stay up an hour later than you would have to. Or be up in the middle of the night for an hour or two. Do you want to pray? And do you actually make it happen? We just sang, your presence is all I want and all I need, and there, without it, there's no meaning. Did you really mean that, or did you just sing it because the songwriter wrote those words? Is it really all you want? Are you constantly and repeatedly overwhelmed with thankfulness that you cannot fully express? A real born-again believer will have more thankfulness than they have time to express to God. And it will frustrate you that you can't get all the things thought of and named that he's done for you in the time that you have to pray. Do you schedule your life around church or does church get scheduled around your life? Not that you have to be here every Sunday. Certainly not a sin to go on vacation or go visit family or when you're sick or whatever, but is church a priority? The Sunday after Freedom Broker Leg, we didn't go to par- a church with my parents, and I felt really weird. I actually felt guilty. I don't need to feel guilty for missing church once a year, but, but it, it's really weird. This is not a Sunday morning because this is what I do on Sunday morning is I meet with the church, even when I'm not home being pastor. Well, my family would go on vacation in the summer. We would go to church on a Sunday morning wherever we were. I was always creeped out by that as a kid. I was really scared of other churches. I don't know why, but, but I was. But even on vacation, my family, we went to church on Sunday wherever we happened to be because it's Sunday morning. We've got people around here who have been here for years or decades, and if they're here once a month, that's a big deal, and I just I really worry. I'm concerned about that lack of priority. Not that that's a rule, but that's a fruit. Hello? It's not a rule that you have to be in church two or three or four Sundays a month, but, but if you don't want to be, something's wrong. You're not bearing the right fruit. Are you not too busy to come to him? Do you rearrange your schedule to do what God gives you to do? Do you read your Bible for real, not just some scripture somebody put on Instagram or Facebook? Do you read your Bible? And if you miss it, do you feel it? Some people, if you missed your morning Bible reading, you would really be aware of that. And other people are like, oh, my, I don't know where my Bible is. I haven't seen it for three weeks. Hello? Are you serious about this or not? I'm not asking these things to scare you or make you feel guilty. I'm asking these things because I love you and I don't want you to be in the wrong group. To think that Jesus is your Lord, but he's not. 
please take this seriously. I'm not here to scare you. Nobody's in trouble. I really didn't want to even preach this after last Sunday, because last Sunday was fun. (laughs) But I love you. I have to ask you these things. Are you overwhelmed with love for the people of God in your church? Or the church worldwide as a whole, missions and what God is doing all over the world? Are you brokenhearted for the lost? Do you feel a desire to talk to people about Jesus? Are you frustrated by daydreams of ways that you want to serve Jesus, but I can't right now because I have a job? Or do you just go about your schedule and it is what it is? Go to Sunday morning church and that's, that's what I do. Or are you frustrated that you can't do more because of kids or job or finances or whatever? Does the Holy Spirit put a smile on your face that you have to hide so you don't look stupid? <laughs> Some days I'm just so overwhelmed in the night or whatever in my office with the Lord and I'm crying or I'm really happy or whatever and somebody asks how I'm doing and I can't be honest because I would seem drunk. I have to tone it down. Because God is so good. Are you magnetically pulled to hurting people? Either emotional or physical needs that you see. And I'm not talking about your family and friends. I'm talking about total strangers. Do you feel a responsibility to take care of people? That you don't even know. Or that you could just pass on by. Serious disciples with the Spirit of God inside of them will have the love of God for that person even when you don't know them. And you'll feel it and you'll act on it. Do you get angry at your own sin? Do you receive correction? Do you regularly beg God for forgiveness? Feeling your own unworthiness to receive it? Are you brokenhearted? about unholiness in the church. Paul says, Who is made to stumble and I do not burn with indignation? The state of the public leaders of the church in this nation is infuriating to me because I care that the sheep of God are not made to stumble. And it's not every week, but it's pretty regular. We find out somebody else is sinning behind the scenes while collecting all the people's money off of their TV show. Are you a serious disciple or not? I think maybe the top proof that you are an actual child of God and not that you just think you're a Christian, but that you actually are, the number one proof is that God is painfully disciplining you. I truly think that's the number one proof that you actually belong to God, that you're His daughter or son. Hebrews 13 says, if you're not a son, God won't discipline you. But if you are, he will discipline you. And no discipline is pleasant at the time, but painful. The way to know, do I really belong to God? Does he know me? Am I really his or am I just deceived into thinking that I'm a Christian, but I'm not? The way to know is, is God causing pain in your life? 
because, I've told you this before, all your kids can run around here being wild brats and I just have to smile and wave because they're not my kids. But if they're, my kids do those things, I will take it out on their butt. Hello? Because they belong to me. The scariest thing in the world ought to be for you is if God is not disciplining you because the only reason he wouldn't is because you don't belong to him. If you are successfully hiding sin, if you are being a successful hypocrite, you are not a child of God. But if when you sin the least little bit, your conscience is pricked and the fear of God strikes you and like, oh, I'm sorry, God, I fear you. I can't do that. I can't get away with that. You won't let me. You're his. You're his. If you care about what he thinks because you feel his disapproval of what you just said or gossiped or did or you really, really don't want to forgive that person, but... God won't let me get away with holding on to unforgiveness anymore. I have to forgive. That's God disciplining you. I don't mean the painful, difficult situations of life because everybody has those. I mean, God isn't causing your sickness or your uh, family troubles. I'm talking about the pain that God brings when we sin and we just cannot get away with it. Like, God, everybody else is getting away with it. Yeah, but you're not because you're mine. My kids can tell me all they want. Well, so-and-so at school gets to get so and that. Well, they're not mine. They're the only ones with a flip phone, and they're all so embarrassed about using a flip phone. If I call their phone, they will see my text or my call, but they will borrow an iPhone to call, some, call me back because they don't want their friends to see them using a flip phone. How come we can't have a smartphone? Because you're mine. If God doesn't let you get away with things, or if he puts you in a situation where you have to do something that you would not do except that he is making you do it, like love a difficult person, or forgive this or that, or take care of this need and that, and God, I'm too busy, and I got enough on my plate to do. I don't need this other thing to take care of, and do it. That's God's discipline. Not the average troubles and pains of life, because that happens to everybody. But if there's situations in your life that are painful, that God won't let you get away with, or he is forcing you into them, and you would so like to just write that situation off, write that relationship off, but God says, no, you stick with it. That's the discipline of God. That's the proof that you are his. Is your father disciplining you painfully? If so, you're his. Do you fast? Do you give your money? Are you financially invested in the kingdom? Are there specific things you could name that you can't do or you can't have because of the time and money that you have chosen to give God? I mean, your choices to be God's and to be holy is it's going to cost time and or money. And can you name specifically things you have had to say no to, things you have missed out, things you would be able to afford, but now you can't because you tithe? I drive a 15-year-older vehicle than I would like because 
I would have the money to buy a new one, but I don't because I tithe. I'm not talking about myself. I'm just, do, is that true of you? Can you name specifically what you have given up, what you can't afford, what you have had to say no to because there wasn't time because I'm serving the Lord? Are you serious about this or not? The people who waltz up to the door of heaven thinking, oh yeah, I went to church, I was a good American Christian, Jesus is going to say, no, you actually were lawless because you didn't make any sacrifices, you didn't actually obey, you just went for a good time. Just some questions for you to consider. I can't tell you how often you should fast. I can't tell you how long you should pray. I can't tell you how often you should read your Bible because the moment I give you numbers, we've all become Pharisees. I've given you a checklist of if you do this and this and this, then God's okay with you, and I don't know that. I'm not God. This is for you to take and run with God and obey what he gives you to do. So I realize that I'm just stirring things up and then I don't give you any answers. I just ask these scary questions and yeah, I'm not here to answer them. You have to answer them between you and God. Are you a serious disciple or are you deceiving yourself? I ask not because anybody's in trouble. I ask because I love you, because I care that you're not in the wrong group. Amen? One last scripture. John six thirty seven. Everyone whom my Father gives me will come to me. I will never turn anyone away who comes to me. I will never turn anyone away who comes to me. Jesus is not looking for an excuse to turn you away. He wants every excuse to make you fruitful. Don't hear anything I said this morning as Jesus wants to turn you away or Jesus is hard-hearted and he doesn't care and he's going to slam the door in somebody's face. He will receive everyone who honestly comes to him. Just make sure that it's honest. Amen. <laughs>